Bear, bear, bear. Gently bear, bear, bear. Thanks for listening to Grand Craft Beer, Ben's premier beer podcast, exploring everything beer in Central Oregon, with your host, who's a Cicerone and the author of Oregon Breweries, Brian Yeager. Hello and welcome to Grand Craft Beer. I am your host, Brian Yeager, and I am super excited to be joined this week by Cascade Lakes Brewing's owner, Andy Ryan, and brewmaster, Ryan Schmiege. Welcome, guys. Thanks, Brian. How are you doing? Very good. I realized here we are, it's still early in the year, but 2024, Cascade Lakes is 30 years old. Mm-hmm. What are you doing to celebrate? Not Now, obviously, to take one quick step back, you and your family are the owners, but you were not the founders, so the brewery is 30 years old. Uh, you guys have been in the mix for six, seven years? Six years, yeah. There we go. Yeah, Cascade Lakes has uh, passed hands a couple times now. Um, but, yeah, my family and I, uh, we've been local to Central Oregon since 2000. I grew up here, um, and uh, and we've owned it for six years. So, yeah, we're bringing it back to our roots for our 30-year anniversary party. We're going to have a party out at um, our – we most commonly referred to as 7th Street uh, Cascade Lakes at 7th Street. Um, and so in Redmond, not here in Bend. Yeah, because, I mean, that was our roots. Sure. Um, Dan and Scott Gaisley, I hope I get those names right. <laughs> um, but they, uh, two brothers, um, took some old Eberhard tanks and uh, and started the um, brewing facility actually at what is now the brew pub, um, Cascade Lakes at 7th Street. And uh, when it transitioned owners in 1999, um, it came over sort of to the industrial zone of, uh, um, of Redmond near COCC Redmond. And that's where we're still at today. And, um, it's grown and kind of added on tanks ever since. And, uh, and, uh, you know, Ryan, we're fortunate to have had Ryan, um, for five years now and we have a really great team there and we're, we're really proud of the work they've done. But, um, you know, that, um, I think it's just, gotten especially from the beer quality side it just it's gotten more consistent and better by the day we won a couple gold medals at north american beer awards which of course we're really proud of absolutely Um, those are always huge and i like it you mentioned that you started off that that cascade lake started off with the everhard takes because of course that would have been back that would have been the pre-craft beer era that was the microbrew era where people were repurposing dairy equipment to make beer nowadays you know, I, I, there's sort of a blueprint for what it takes to to get a brewery started, and there's all these smaller stainless steel manufacturing companies. But I love that Cascade Lakes again, dating back to 1994, making it the second oldest craft brewery here in Central Oregon. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just by necessity that um, I think uh, there just wasn't as many. Uh, brewery, um, uh, brewery tank vendors or suppliers. Um, there wasn't I, the knowledge either. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. when you talk about it, the quality improving and the consistency improving, that's that is what we gleaned in the last thirty years. And I shouldn't say we, but Ryan, that's what people in, in yeah. your position uh, have gleaned over the last few decades. Is sure. You know, I think it's what those of us in the production side have have learned a lot about but it's also um you know everyone who consumes craft beer has been the beneficiary of that knowledge and that experience and that that learning so it's Absolutely. really collective the, right the learning curve is not simply on the production side but equally so on the consumer side Absolutely yeah That said I feel like we're in a pretty weird 
era for craft beer where we collectively were spoiled for choices. I mean, the whole craft beer movement sprang from the lack of uh, variety in the beer space. And then did we did we get too much variety? Is that what happened? Like all of a sudden, I feel like consumers are really paring down what they're interested in. Maybe I'm wrong, but it's generally IPAs. Obviously, love to see the lager revolution finally kicking in that has been talked about for decades. Um, but do you feel like there's more demand for flavor and variety or or not so much? In my opinion, if anything, there's there's more demand for flavor and diversity than there ever has been. Okay, good. And that's that's seen every day in terms of beverages as a whole. You know, ah. craft brewing, uh, we may have seen uh, people sort of pairing back and maybe not experimenting quite as much in terms of the consumer, maybe not um, checking out all the new things. But in terms of beverage in this world, there's more than there ever has been, and it's just continuing to grow. And what that's done and continues and is doing, I guess, to craft brewing and brewers is demanding greater excellence, um, more it's challenging us to try and create and incorporate different things and and just making us more aware of our surroundings and, and more exper- experimentative than ever. So it's what, really quite exciting. When you when you talk about experimental approaching approaches to brewing, are you generally thinking about ingredients or process or like what where, where do you see most of the current experimentation going on right now? That's a great question. I think I think it really occurs across all those elements. Ingredients for sure, you know. Um, you'll beyond hops or predominantly within the hop varietal realm. I think it's probably still hop dominant and that's why you see our growers and brokers and you know hop producers still coming out with and creating really fantastic, interesting and unique varieties, but it's also outside of that. Um, and it's it's in some of the niche beers and incorporating, you know, what what is it? The dirty leaves from someone's backyard <laughs> or, you know, something more like an interesting fruit that we haven't used before or even just different grains. Um, but, yeah, it's 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 trying to r- really look and, and incorporate different and new flavors. And one of those elements is definitely yeast, you know, mm-hmm. yeast being the unsung hero of all beer. We always talk about hops being in, in the Pacific Northwest. Um, of course, malt is our main source of sugar and alcohol, but yeast gets forgotten a lot. And it's only been in the past five years, in my opinion, that people have really started to explore and find new yeast and, and make them work for beer. So that's a new element too, but it's definitely just everything it is speaking of yeast i don't know if if first of all i don't even know if i'm going to pronounce this word correctly kvike kvik sure sure okay (laughs) but the 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 norwegian fast fermenting yeast strain that has really caught on in america uh 
so as an example, is that one that you are using at Cascade Lakes? Does that show up in any of your beers? We haven't done anything on scale, like on, on any sort of a larger production scale, but we've played with that and other strains on smaller scales um, just to figure out, you know, how that plays and, and what element we can use it to um, enhance other characteristics of beer. Um, yeah, there's that's probably the, the most... Um, the most known of a lot of the sort of unique elements of yeast in, in latter years. That's pretty interesting. But for your beers, uh, we're, uh, I'm going to remove Lotus Pilsner from the mix. Um, but do you generally have one ale, like a house yeast that you go to? And, and if so, which is it? There were... For your IPAs and... We'll talk about uh, 20 Inch Brown in a moment because you know I love that you guys have it. You know, we I, could, we, I could do a that. whole brown yeah. ale. <laughs> in fact, I think I might. In the future, we're going to do a brown ale uh, episode because yeah. you guys are truly the only brewery that is, uh, you know, ha- has continued to, to go to bat die. with it. Uh, there is a demand for it. I know that when you know, a keg of moose roll brown ale shows up in Bend, it kicks immediately. So there is a demand for it from a very small but passionate group of, of consumers, True. such as myself. But I see, I was, I, like I said, we're going to save that uh, for later. Uh, going back to, to the yeast that, like, what, what's the predominant house yeast at, at Cascade Lake? So when, when I joined the company, there was uh, a British strain of ale yeast that we used for for everything. Was this Ringwood or something like it? Uh, it's similar. Yeah, it's um, it's it's through BSI is where I source the, the yeast. Um, it's not quite Ringwood, but uh, it's a little bit more alcohol tolerant and doesn't quite kick as much diacetyl. Um, Which, again, hearkening back to those early days of microbrews, that was it. Like yeah. That's pretty much, if you if you wanted to do micro beer, micro brewed beer, uh, you had to do ales because you had to turn them out faster and that that yeast strain basically spread across america uh, which was great until yeah. brewers realized oh sort of a a one a one hitter yeah them. i mean it's it's very functional and actually you know i think it's more functional than a lot of people give it credit for because just changing temperature you can you can alter what those yeasts will do uh, greatly, and you can produce really clean, very interesting beers with with you know British ale or even Belgian ale strains. Um, regardless, we did uh, bring in. I tried a couple of different strains um, for for a secondary strain. You know, wanting to sort of update, modernize Cascade Lakes beers, our portfolio, and things. When I joined the company. We, we brought in um, a couple different strains to work specifically with IPAs and things, things that were a little more subdued on the ester production and would, you know, really let some of the, the hop characteristics shine through. Um, and we, we did end up using um, an American ale strain for, for a number of different beers. And then still to this day, um, one of the things I like to play with, and that's why we're talking about it, is yeast. So uh, we will bring in different strains from from all of the different uh, suppliers and and test them and try them and play with them on our our little one barrel R and D system. 
because you just never know what you're going to find that, that that's really a benefit to you, you know, whether it's flocculation to give you a clearer product or is it just um, how that the lemon gets kicked out of that particular strain or, or how it plays with the hops. You know, there's just there's so much nuance to it that it's fascinating. And I my mind it's not a new beer by any stretch and we don't have it available in Oregon, but have either of you ever had Black Ops from uh, Brooklyn Brewery? It's an imperial stout fermented with champagne yeast. Huh. I've heard of it. So it it could handle, right? It's a little uh, stronger super yeast strain, but the it, it's the cleanest drinking imperial stout I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And I've always sort of thought, oh boy, I wish more brewers would turn to non-traditional ale yeasts uh, or, or beer yeast, you know, uh, looking to the wine world. And at the same time, are you guys still making cider? Absolutely. We make Excellent. two different kinds. Yeah. Because I remember talking to you a couple few years ago when you had won a uh, gold medal in North gold. American. Yeah. Exactly. And we, for for yeah. a really great cider. Yeah. And I heard the earlier podcast talking with Grant at Crocs. Uh, we use Easy Orchards as well. Um, right. And we do a spontaneously and a non-spontaneously fermented cider. And we've, we've pushed a few, you know, handful of kegs through distribution too. We haven't. We, I mean, we've talked about canning it here and there, um, but uh, but yeah, it, it, um, we usually keep one or two on tap at our pubs, and um, it gets a lot of great feedback. It's it's really fun. Let's talk about the pubs. Uh, obviously, your production facility is in Redmond. There's no tap room, no tasting room open to the public there, but you have the Seventh Street Pub in Redmond. You have the new East Side Pub on Reed Market. Uh, yeah, and, and again, over the years, over these last 30 years, as the company has changed ownership, there have been so many different public houses connected to Cascade Lakes. Sure. Uh, was the plan, what, was there a plan? when you, So you opened the Eastside Pub how many months ago now? July of last year. So just over half a year ago. But then you guys did just have to close the... Uh, Chandler, yeah, what, West that, Side Pub what, Lodge, the, the Lodge, you know, right? Famously, um, was the plan to move it, or was it a rent issue? Like, what what happened? It, it wasn't planned, <laughs> and it was a rent issue. Um, we don't we don't own the building. That's kind of the most frequent question that we get about that space. Um, I I kind of um, so my focus over the last year and a half has been on sales. I've started with the brewery with Ryan and then it was a little bit all hands on deck through COVID and now trying to, um, boost back our sales up. And, um, uh, I was just kind of doing, um, some mental math and I think it's like maybe in the top five biggest, uh, restaurant buildings and huge. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I would see, and we would, you know, we would be doing fairly well, have a decent dinner crowd, but I was like, man, this is, you know, it still feels like it's only like half full. And you get that many people into some other pubs in town, and they would there would be a waiting list sort of thing. So it was there was a lot of challenges that came with that, and that was even before we bought into the business, and we were and we were aware of that. Um, but I think some things on that side of town changed um, through COVID. There's been some other businesses that have unfortunately fallen on hard times. So it, it certainly of wasn't course. wasn't the plan. And if we could, 
um, keep three pubs, you know, three plus pubs open. Uh, it just gives a lot of flexibility for what you can do on the beer side. If you, you know, just like having more places to run through your own beer to get that feedback. If we wanted to get into different styles and um, try new events and everything, so by no means did we plan or want to do it. It was certainly you know on our radar and we tried different things. Um, we tried different events. We were having an event, I felt like almost every night of the week and we, and we really tried hard to work with, uh, and we, we have partnerships with nearby businesses still that, which we expect to maintain and try to continue to grow that are on that side of town, despite no longer having the location. When you talk about events, I've been lucky enough to attend a couple of the beer dinners that were held at the lodge. Will there be more of those at the East side? pub um there could be um we we have I, i'll be honest we don't uh we haven't talked about one usually um those we like to have those in the winter i think our last one was a benefit for the central Oregon, or no for the oregon brewers guild um in partnership with crocs um yep. and uh and we like those um they're fun it's like it, it's definitely a style of event that got me in got me excited about the industry to begin with uh but i don't know if you agree or disagree brian but it feels like i, I don't see those very often anymore it seems like those are fading out of style unfortunately absolutely a bygone era within the craft beer realm and yet i would imagine now first i mean i can only speak to the experience of the customer right i like attending them i like eating i like drinking uh, i would imagine though that your uh, executive chef, head chef gets, you know, likes to have a whole new sandbox to play in uh, versus having the tried and true pub menu on a daily basis. I would imagine just like if you had, you know, Ryan, if you had the same beers throughout the year, you would be jonesing to brew something different. I would imagine that that he would be into the idea if you guys are able to pull them off at the same time yeah it's it's you know maybe right this is a very challenging time for the industry across every single aspect how do you get people to buy your beer over someone else's beer how do you get them to buy it again how do you get them into the pubs and the spaces that you are operating and then maybe say well maybe it's too challenging to get them to pay more for this elevated experience at the same time you don't do them every day you don't even need to do them once a week or even once a month but i feel like it's a fun way to show off and again the pairings when i have attended those it's evident the thought and care that goes into creating the dish coming up with the perfect beer to pair with it whether it's one of the production beers or it's something like how many how many non-production beers do you get a brew a year, Ryan? Uh, that's a great question. We do, we use our R&D system basically every week. So we, you know, in that sense, there's about 52 a year. And is it a five barrel? It's a one barrel one system. Barrel. Yeah, it's small. Um, not all of those see the light of day. I mean, that's part of what we're doing is mm -hmm. we're trying to um, push our own limits. And so sometimes uh, you push the wrong way and it's no good and that goes down Give the drain. Give us a good example of something that you had to dump. 
Um, Memes of Redman. Beer. That one got weird. Because yeah. you know, the point is, you have to be unafraid to fail to strike gold mm. with something. No, and that's absolutely right. I mean, um, you know, you, a former mentor, you know, years ago, used to continually tell us as brewers, he said, brew something that you have to dump. Like, basically push yourself to the point where you have to dump something. Um, dark beers, you know, we've played with a number of different recipes in the dark beer realm, realm winter ales, winter warmers, um, you know, porters and stouts and things where we've been sort of using different malts and in different ways that we had previously. And we've been doing a lot of that this last year. And there were some of those that, um, while we were excited on the front end, uh, they just didn't work. And, you know, you think, well, maybe, but ultimately you look yourself in the, in the you know, <laughs> you look at the beer and you're like, I can't put this in front of people. I don't want to drink it. You know. Right. If the brewer doesn't want to drink it, that's probably a pretty good indicator. Sure. Yeah. It might not fly off yeah. the handle. So some of those have been dumped. Um, we've done some, some different, uh, some different tests with yeasts that just didn't didn't prove out well. So, you know, of if we do fifty two, and it's probably not exact, but if we do fifty two a year, you know, forty five of them, maybe forty of them, see the light of day, or That's at least good. you know get to the pubs and and get some action there. And, um, do, and they're do not they get all to brewed. both pubs. Is, like, is that a thing where you have this not one always. batch? It's literally two kegs, two full size kegs. It's yeah, not a whole lot. Not always. Um, you know, sometimes we brew them very specifically for smaller events like different smokes. Yeah. Um, Where I will, if anyone knew, if anyone listening had, had heard of different smokes, it's the smoke beer festival that I put on. That's a benefit for the Oregon volunteer firefighters. And in the first year, you had not one but two yeah. Rauch beers. Mm. And that smoked rice lager still haunts me. Because I love smoked beers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, sometimes we use it. Andy just might not for want you to like, like smoke no, beers. I, it, it, it smells delicious. It's just uh, um, you know we have a twenty barrel brew house, so it's hard to push through forty. I, I know it might break I your heart. I'm aware. I'm yeah. aware. It's an just, uphill battle. Yeah. But it's it's the tastiest and most. It's just such a delicious Sisyphean. Did I get that word right? I think Task. so. Sisyphean? <laughs> Sisyphean? Whatever. You know, the the whole, like, pushing the, the boulder up the hill is uh, the same thing as trying to sell a smoked beer. Yeah. I get it. But, so I love rice lagers, and I love smoked beers. And that one that you did, I'm telling you, man, you nailed it. Well, and thank I you. I wish yeah. it would. Is there a chance that that particular beer will come back? I I would absolutely love to make that beer again. Okay. Even on a small scale, I think it'd right. be great. And you know, back to that the beer dinners, um, that's the kind of beer that can really shine in that specific mm-hmm. space because, you know, I don't want to speak for our chef, but I think he does like to play out outside of the general sandbox, as you put it. He's extremely um, experimentative. He's got great uh, sous chefs to lean on. They collectively have made some brilliant dishes, and if you put something like a, a smoked rice lager in front of a very good chef and say, "Here's a beer I think you can do something with," you know, make a dish to pair with it or whatever, they usually will get excited and say, "Damn right!" You know, People let me forget. add it. 
like people forget that Rauch beer is such a killer food pairer because you go to this a restaurant, you're going to see all different sorts of smoked foods, and they sell. I feel like it's a mental hurdle that people have against smoked beer. They go, ah, eh, I don't want it to taste like a ashtray. Yeah, but you don't say that about barbecue. No, I think you're right, but it's also it's it's uh, it's just it's a learning curve, or, you know, uh, or whatever. It's, it is a hurdle, you know. For years, when I got into professional brewing. I didn't want anything to do with a sour beer. <laughs> and then something clicked one day, and all of a sudden I started thinking, wait a second, I kind of get that. And you'd start tasting them more and more. Smoke beer was very similar for me. You know, something, if you keep tasting things and you don't just tell yourself, oh, I don't like stout or I don't like sour mm-hmm. beer, allow yourself to continue to dip back into those realms from time to time. And all of a sudden you'll find yourself going, Oh, whoa, that's incredible. What's the, I'm drawing a blank on the name. What's, is it Thump maybe? What's Red, what, Red Thump. Red Thump. I know one of my mental hurdles is red ales. And yet when you, maybe it's, I, I'm just not a big coffee, not coffee, I'm not a big uh, caramel note fan. But when you add really great mellifluous piney, hops to it. It really, you know, like we forget in this era where almost every IPA is brighter and clearer than it has ever been. You know, we kind of have a tendency to forget that maltier beers can play very well with those same kind of piney, dank hops. So I really enjoyed Red Thump. How's that doing for you guys? It's actually doing really well. Um, a little too well. We can't. We're struggling to find the <laughs> to get the caramel malt that we need for it specifically. It's just a seasonal for us. Uh, we're planning to back it up with a Mexican lager, but we've already been asked a couple times of whether or not it's going to be added to our core lineup um, and do it do it as a year round beer. Um, I I love it. It samples tremendously. Um, like I said, I'm kind of. Um, sales focus so i do a lot of samplings at grocery stores and tap takeovers whatever it might be and um people the reception has just been outstanding and yeah 5.9 percent. i feel like a lot of reds are more in the 6.8 to seven and a half percent and you know the i I mean like i said i did my homework i listened to the podcast so i know where you (laughs) lean on on abv and i just find it really well thank you so much for making this whole beer catered to my Random palette. Yeah. Too kind. Well, I, I, it just it's really drinkable. Um, you know, hot forward with Altus and Amarillo hops, and um, it, it's it's a great beer. It's it's fitting in really well. Uh, Ryan and I were just uh, another spot and talking about how competitive IPAs are. Um, and it'll and I think it'll be especially that way in Central Oregon and the Pacific Northwest for a long time. But it's it's. Yeah, I I can't say enough good things about it. It's been really fun. That and, is the trick, though. Is you know, it's a it's a very British style of beer, and so in the early days, people were using those imported English hops, and the key was, hey, these American hop varietals that we've got, they don't only have to be used in IPAs, and they could they could really be used to revive styles that have kind of waned. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like we're kind of entering a moment of great Northwest red ales again, uh, certainly led by by Red Thump. I just think 
there's clearly a demand for that. Do we think that there could be a resurgence or revival for Browns? <laughs> See, I told you we'd get back to 20-inch Brown. There's always the possibility of everything, you know. Yeah, and I, I love that you that you always support it and push it and encourage it. And I'm very, very proud of the fact that we have a brown ale in our portfolio because it is uncommon. Um 20 inch brown has been one that it's been with the brewery for a long time. I can't for certain say if it's since day one, but it's been very much most of, if not the entire duration of the brewery's um, 30 years. And, and it's one that, that chocolatey toffee note rather than trying to, again, pump it with hops. citra and, and amarillo and things that are going to make it a. Do you remember, remember when right after CDAs came out? Texas tried to make Texas Brown a thing, yeah, like a brown IPA, right? It was nice. a pretty good drinking beer, but it wasn't something that you would want all the time. So yeah. I love that brown ales retain that sense of being an authentic brown ale rather than an overly hopped. Maybe someone wants that, and if they do, by all means, make it for them. Yeah. But I love that that beer remains in the wheelhouse that I like my browns in. I do too, yeah, and it's it's the one beer that when I joined uh, Cascade Lakes Brewing Company and and Andy, I got a text from a brewer that I'd worked with previously, and he heard I got the job, and and he just texted me, "Don't f with twenty inch brown," and I thought I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> that was like I think the first new can when I when I when we got in with Cascade Lakes uh, was when we. That 20 inch brown was our next can um and even i was kind of doubtful um you know because it just didn't seem like a hot selling item but it's definitely you know if it's on tap people are pretty excited about it and oftentimes especially for whatever reason smaller towns um seem to really like the brown and it's it stays on tap you know pretty consistently i would imagine that a beer like that would find a better home in a smaller market like ours compared to a Portland or a Seattle or something where people are going to, you know, that might be like the 23rd handle sure. or a 24 tap bar. And right. they're not even going to make it there because they're looking at all the hazy juices. Even you know? in our town, I find that it seems to be more popular in Redmond, Pineville, uh, Sun River, La Pine than, than Bend. And, and Bend, it's still... Um, you know, on tap at a handful of spots, but I don't know what it is. It seems to sell better at our Redmond pub than Bend. And where I, I'm not looking for, oh, it's it's our you know eighth best seller. But do you know roughly how it does? Like, what what are your best selling flagships? I'd say our Blonde Bombshell is our best seller. Um, of course, our West Coast IPA, this IPA, and our Hazy Tropic Blur. Hazy IPA, um, I think most Central Oregon breweries, um, they lead with their their IPAs. But I feel like from talking to enough of people like you guys, I feel like most Central Oregon breweries' best-selling beer isn't their IPA. Yeah. I, Which is fascinating to me. Yeah, I, I think you have to be a really big player in the space to to do well in the in the like to to have ipa be your true flagship um of course rpm fresh squeeze bodies off i'll come to mind mm-hmm. and those are 
extremely the, those are the most permanent permanent handles right. at, at accounts it's really hard um and i think there's some level of um you know people will say i'll have an rpm i'll have or i'll have an ipa and they're surprised it's not an rpm sometimes sure um it's it's that's that you know level of i guess following or um that present in consumers minds um but I don't know, going back to Brown, I don't really know what beyond that what it'd be in terms of production volume. It's been a little bit since I've looked at but that. But like this IPA is your best-selling IPA, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, is the one that went from pineapple to Steak. staycation number two? No, in terms of IPAs, it's Tropic Blur. Tropic Blur, okay. Yeah. 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 By the way, did that name change? I was looking at it on your website. It says formerly sure. known as pineapple IPA, but when you look at the ingredients, it doesn't list pineapple. Did it and does it still contain, I don't know, pureed pineapple or you know something of, of that nature? Or is it just pineapple hops? No, it is not just the hops. It is uh, the hops we use lend toward it, but it is there is a, a small component of an artificial flavor. Got it. Because yeah. it's a it's natural of pineapple but it's not overtly pina you know yeah yeah <laughs> and that that's one of uh that's a pretty polarizing beer for us we huh. yeah, I, I would say we get definitely a lot more good feedback than bad but some people are in love with it and it's great it's it's really mind-blowing to me when i do sample the beer at events and whatnot um people the people that say, "Oh, like that's way too much pineapple for me," or like, really? "Oh, I'm not, I'm not hardly getting any pineapple," um, and whether or not they like that, um, it's a little bit all over the map. Um, but it, it's that it's still a popular beer for us. It's still one that's um, received uh, more favorably than not. But I think that's just kind of the maybe um, the game you play with any flavored beer. Um, people might say it's too much, not enough, just right. Yeah. Even though I was looking at it earlier today, remind me the hops that go into that staycation? Uh, it's Centennial Zaka Idaho 7. Because one hop, I tell every brewer who will listen to me on this, I think my favorite of the more modern, you know, ultra-modern varietals is Brew 1. And I've had Brew 1 hopped IPAs, single hopped IPAs, and I basically shouted at the brewer saying, don't tell me there's no pineapple in here. Don't tell me it's all from the hops. There's definitely pineapple juice in this. And there isn't. Yeah. So maybe something to uh, kick around on that on that uh, R&D system. Yeah. Have you, have you brewed anything with Brew One yet? Um, I've only brewed with it once. Yeah. So I, I'm still not super familiar with it. It's, it, it's clearly not the next strata but it is still available, and I happen to love it because I do love everything pineapple. In fact, I have a friend who's got a 50th birthday coming up. He's trying to, like, come up with, I think, a dozen pineapple beers that he has been granted a tap takeover for. This is up in Portland. And I was he asked me, like, what is around? And when I was thinking about staycation, I said, well, it's not overtly pineapple. But in case you feel like doing a super pineapple version of it 
and nice. a keg could get shipped up to oh, Portland. Yeah. I'm going to hook you guys up with, yeah. with that event. Yeah, yeah, that sounds fun. That would be amazing, especially because I'm going to drive up for it. Now, in we we got to wind down, but it would not be possible to have you guys in the studio. And here we are, we're talking about flagships and bestsellers and experimentation, all the things that you get to do. My final question is, what did converting Cascade Lakes to a not-for-profit brewery, what does that enable you to do? Besides, of course, let everyone know that when you eat and drink at Cascade Lakes, your money is ultimately going to a great local 501c3. But what what was the decision? What did that allow the company to do after making that, that transition? Which is, you know, in, especially in an era where it's very tough to be a profitable brewery, to say, we're not going to be profitable. We are, we're going to be a zero-profit brewery. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, make sure to rein me in. If I go too far far, <laughs> far with the answer, I'm, I'm not good at getting from point A to point B um, in a straight line. But uh, so when my family and I bought into the brewery, it wasn't um, necessarily financially motivated. It was more of a means to get the family back to Bend and um, kind of do what we thought craft beer creates, which is community and giving back. Um, so my sister and I, we work full time for Cascade Lakes. My parents live in Bend as well. Is your sister Esme, I believe? Esme, yeah. Yep. And uh, and she works a lot of events um, with me. She's super supportive. I kind of brought her in after being with the company for three or four years. Um, but, uh, it, it, I mean, it's created a lot of new relationships and uh, open doors to um, creating an impact that we didn't, we beforehand weren't aware we could have with the brewery. Um, and that's collectively, that's, that's bigger than just my family. It's the company. And um, we try to support as much as we can. We really focus on local. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, it, it's just created a lot of partnerships. Um, and, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of interests around the brand. And, um, I, I guess like dating back, my, my parents helped found care for kids foundation, um, which is a, um, it's a nonprofit in the Sun River area, um, where I grew up and, uh, and they've always been, um, pretty passionate, um, uh, philanthropically. Uh, so, so, um, I, I was kind of like, a um, you know, come to Jesus moment post COVID, like what there's still, you know, there's nine, 10,000 breweries in the U S like what makes us different? What do we want to stand out for? What do we want our story to be? Cause we, we bought, we bought into a business, um, where, you know, kind of got past this torch. What do we want it to be? And that's, that's what we decided upon. Um, so yeah, we're, we're really excited. It's something different um, to pitch. It's some, it's a different way to work with, um, other businesses to grow support, um, to be involved in the community. Um, so, so yeah, that, that's, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of why the decision was made. And, uh, and what, and we have some exciting projects in the work. Uh, a lot give of us pro- one, give us, give us something to look forward to. What's the the next upcoming one. I'm going to give you two. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're we're uh, working with Make-A-Wish Foundation to do a collaboration beer with them, donate a portion of the proceeds. Because kids love beer. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so we, we've met with uh, the Portland branch, um, and, uh, and we're planning to 
push it statewide. So that's something we're really excited about. And then um, we're also part um, planning to partner. We only just connected on it last week, but things are moving forward. We're partnering with the Bend Elks here in town um, to do a benefit beer for uh, um, the Ronald McDonald House of Bend um, and donate a portion of the proceeds to Ronald McDonald House of Bend. Um, and we're really excited to be working with them. We're going to be working with them on a handful of events leading up to the season opener. And they're kind of, um, their story's uh, really amazing. And, you know, it's, it's kind of similar to craft beers where, um, post COVID they had other venues and, you know, other, um, interests in Bend, sort of like us with, you know, other beverage options as Ryan led off this, uh, podcast interview with, um, that have since competed. And so they're trying to kind of get back to where they were post COVID COVID, you know, really hurt their business. So I think working with them, I mean, I, like I said, lived in Bend for 24, 25 years, Ben Elks is a huge part of the community. And so we're, so we're excited to partner with them and, you know, hopefully. And the actual Elks Club, not the minor league baseball the team. The minor league baseball team, oh, actually, they, yeah. I did not realize that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they were robbed of their of the, a couple of their seasons, you know. and I did not. Wait. So is are the Bend Elks related to that sort of national organization, the Elks Club? I don't think so. Oh, okay. See, I'm glad that I asked because yeah. now I clarify this. Yeah, um, I, my older brother played baseball in high school with uh, one of the owners. We all, we all went to Ben High, so we're It's really... one of the best, like, family outings during the season. You get a great game. There's some in-game, you know, between-inning uh, entertainment. Mm-hmm. The, the beer and the food deals that they have, you can't beat it. It's affordable. It's, exactly. Um, it's community-minded. Um, all the billboards on the walls are our community businesses. Um, yeah. So, and it's you know. inspired my family to attend more of those college, you know, I can't even, there's single, double, triple a college, hard, all bat, white, all these different versions of, of minor league baseball, but, uh, falling in love with bend Elks games has inspired us to take in more when we're in other parts of the state. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, very, you know, very fun partnership to be a part of. And, you know, at, at its core, what being a not-for-profit means to us is, you know, the better we do and the more that we can grow and expand, the more that we can give back. Uh, my family and I haven't taken distribution since owning the business and have no plans to. Again, it wasn't, you know, our involvement with the brewery wasn't financially driven. Um, we're just fans of craft beer. And uh, um, and everything that that inspires and creates. Um, so it, it um, it's been a great experience. It's been a challenging experience, of course, through COVID. And um, you know, uh, um, th- there's lots of headwinds for sure. But but I to mean, your one of those points you made in this era where there's over nine thousand craft breweries, how do you stand out? And that's such a great you know, feel good way for when, when people are going and drinking, just knowing, all right, I'm, I'm a part of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It's, it's a great industry to be a part of and great. We work with great people and, you know, Ryan and people throughout the brewery and our pub. So it's, it's awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time to come into the studio, talk to us about everything going on business wise, beer wise, 
and appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having us, Brian. Cheers, guys. Thank you for listening to the Grand Craft Beer Podcast with yet another voice from Central Oregon's homegrown beer community. We hope you'll share this episode and subscribe so you never miss a beer-soaked conversation. For questions, comments, or suggestions, contact host Brian Yeager via Facebook, Instagram, or X, all with the handle at Grand Craft Beer, all one word. Cheers.